like every good comic understands, okay, I need to, first of all, get the audience to think about the idea I'm trying to talk about. And then I need to misdirect them with a setup. I need to get them thinking of something totally normal. And then I need to, to surprise them with something that occurred to me that was funny that they wouldn't think about because they're not me. Greetings, everyone. Come on in and have a seat up front for the Funny Muscle Podcast. If you're here, then you're looking to learn how to create laughs like a pro. So please help me welcome to the stage your co-host to help you do that, economic professor and open micro Chris Stifler and comedian turned author Mike Lucas. I want to start off with the question of what is Frog Bank? And a lot of times you've been counseling me and teaching me, you've used the term frog bank. What is that? A, is that a term like do stand up comics understand that term or is that your term? That's me. Explain yeah, to yeah. me what frog, what, what you mean by frog bank? Well, I use that to explain what it's like to combine worlds. And the, the, the way you get laughs a lot of times is by combining two unlikely worlds together in a way that pays tribute to both worlds in each time you bring it up. The one way I, I try to describe what I mean by that is, you know, the, the idea of a, the world of a frog is not that funny. It's, it's you know, um, bullfrogs, they eat flies and worms, they're, they're in lily pads, you know, and it's just like, okay, frogs, I get it. And then the world of a bank is not that funny. It's like, you know, um, it, it's, it's, you walk in and there's a, there's a security guard sitting there. There's a line of people waiting to see the tellers. So those two worlds are just like regular worlds. But then when you combine those worlds together, that's when humor starts to happen, right? That's when you can begin to get someone on board your funny idea. Now, the idea of combining frog and bank, it, it's random. So so it, it, it's like at this point, it's like a corner quipper just doing it for an exercise. So there's nothing real personally funny about it. But what you can do is when you begin to combine the two worlds, the listener gets what you're doing. And that's where they get the joke and they get the laugh. So you can begin combining frog and bank. And now all of a sudden there's a world where there's a frog bank. And now we start to enter into a little bit more humor. And so in the frog bank, you know, you can begin to combine things like, like money and worms or money and flies. So now, now money equals flies. And so you say, you know, now I'm going to go to deposit. Um, I just, I just ended a 40 hour week at, at the, uh, in, at the pond and I'm going to deposit my, the, the, the flies I make. So I have them in a sack and I'm ready to bring them into the bank, you know? So again, it's not funny, but it begins to be a funnier imagery to, to think about frogs doing a human thing, anthropomorphizing, their bank work. So now, you know, there's there's a bunch of frogs standing in line waiting to deposit their flies. And some of them have worms, which might be bigger currency. And some of them might have um, slime coming off their back, you know. So, so now in this bank, we have to account for that, you know. So now there's a slime sweeper because, you know, or whatever, instead of a, a regular um, cleanup guy. And so when I say frog bank, it's just really a way to just explain the combining of two worlds. So you can do that with anything. And a lot of jokes have that happening where um, you set up a metaphor of some sort and you might say, okay, here's one, Bill Burr. Um, he says, feminism is like a band you hate, right? So now he's he's combining the world of feminism and that band you hate. So, um, it, so he does things like... Um, Oh God, I thought they were already done with that shit, but now they got, a, and then they come out with a new album. Yeah. Right. So, so, so now he's combining those two worlds and you get it. It's like, Oh, I thought there were no more feminists, but now they're all of a sudden they got a new gripe that they're making, but instead it's like a new album that they're making. So you're combining this frog bank that you're combining those two worlds together. And so, but, but he starts, sets that up with a frog bank, with a metaphor, with a combining of two worlds. And so now we laugh because we say, I get it. I get how that looks like that in a very, um, external way you know like, like I, I get when you combine those two together it's funny they have elements of the same thing when you exaggerate and are sarcastic about it so so when you say let's play frog bank are you looking for a metaphor is that a heightening is that the heightening vice metaphor that you're is frog bank a joke writing exercise is it an improv exercise is it a you gotta get two people together and kind of workshop ideas 
like like for what what it would be is is um a way to sort of explain to people how combining of worlds works and then it it, it just demonstrate it would be because i could easily say um uh feminist band and that could be the 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 thing instead of frog bank it's just two things that are going to come together and the purpose of that is to begin to connect worlds that don't seem likely to be connected like you wouldn't when you think of um feminism the first thing you think of isn't a band that you can't stand but bill burr because he's trying to be funny brings that into our mind and shows us why that works and then you go oh i get it i get why those two things are similar and it's funny because they're similar in a way that's not very flattering you know and so what you you can begin to begin those combinations they can begin to be more humorous the, the the more sarcasm you can use the more less flattering comparisons you can use with them and and there's you know you can begin to you know look at a lot of different comedians and that's what they're really good at they get they're good at finding ways to connect two unlikely worlds and that gets to what we're talking about with the humor blueprint the the whole idea of the humor blueprint it, it's 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 a uh, sort of a, the game plan for creating a laugh out of your idea or your original idea your, which is what we call a premise a premise is just the general idea of what we're talking about. So the first part you're going to do is you're going to you're going to um, pick a like. So he's picking the idea of feminism. Okay, so he's like, I, I want to make feminism funny. So what he does is he like Bill Burr always says, I, I'm I'm going to say the opposite of what everyone nice would say. I'm going to say the thing that we're all thinking, or at least the people like me are thinking, but don't have the guts to say it because they'll get in trouble. They'll they'll be thought of as being. Uh, misogynist or they'll be thought of as being insensitive or or whatever so he but so but his premise is feminism and so he has to set it up in a way that like we think okay he's going to talk about fem feminism i'll bet he's a you know like like the norm would be um, um oh i'm all for it because i'm a a, a, a modern guy and, and modern men should be for feminism because we want the two sexes to be equal and be considered uh, equally and to have the same level of respect. And so, you know, but now he's, he's taking it in a different way, which is what we do first. Um, you know, he uses his lens to figure out an angle that he wants to take on that setup. I mean, on that um, premise. Um, and then he tries to, he tries to twist that by, by combining it with a world that we're not expecting. Instead of saying I'm combining it and, and, and leading it in a way that like, like most men who want to stay married or men who want a girlfriend would take it. He doesn't care. He's, he's being funny. So he's like, it's like a band you don't, you, you, you thought was gone, a band you hate that you thought was done. So now what he's done is he's, he's putting a twist on that. He's putting on a twist on our expectation. Now we thought he was going to go one way. Now we find out he's going a different way. And it's, and it's makes us laugh because it's Bill Burr. And we, we are used to his comedy lens, which is I say the things that no one else in the room is willing to say, because I'm, I'm an angry guy from, from Boston. I don't, I can't remember the exact lens I use for him, but, but again, he, you know, like his lens is his lens. He, he, um he might not even be conscious of his own lens, but because he's done comedy for so long, he's honed it down. And um, I, I, I think of comics like him as, as he's willing to say the thing that none of us are willing to say, but but there's truth to it. There's always truth to it. And, he, and, and they're always uncomfortable truths. And nowadays, we, we don't, those aren't very, you know, we don't, we don't, most men won't, aren't willing to say the uncomfortable truths about, about these topics. So he's trying to just find the clever twists, but, you know, by heightening that idea. So then he combines those two worlds together. He frog banks it. He, he brings them together. And he says feminism and it's a band so that he could keep playing that he stopped playing that game but he could keep playing it like for, for another five minutes if he wanted to because he's really that good so he can just keep telling you how many different ways he thinks of feminism as a band that he can't stand and he's like oh you know oh that oh that thing again oh my god they've got a new oh they're going to be touring oh crap i i my, hope my wife doesn't hear about this because she's going to want us to go see it you know kind of thing so that that to me is kind of like Frog Bank is just a, really a way to just explain combining of unlikely worlds. And then when you combine unlikely worlds, you do that in a lot of different heightening devices. You you bring two things together that don't seem like they would be connected. Um, when you do a, a contrast, this is like that, but that's like that. You're combining two worlds that 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 um, and you're showing how different they are. And it's funny when you begin to see how different they are. You know, but 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 like metaphor and exaggeration are really ripe for the combining of worlds because of because of the nature of those heightening devices. Is but is this like I'm looking for techniques on how to better write, or if I'm using an hour of my time to write in the evenings, like is it all right to like I'm right if I wanted to try to write a bit about how we used to think Beanie Babies 
we were going to fund our future by collecting Beanie Babies in the 1990s. Could I just randomly like, like pick a couple ideas and say, well, that's like swimming or that's like skiing or that's like playing basketball. See, to me, I, what, what I would say is I think that, that, that you might be coming at it from the opposite side of how you might want to. You might want to think about what we do today that's like how we used to do Beanie Babies. So today, um, cryptocurrency. You could say cryptocurrency. Jesus, that's like that, you know, that's like as bullshit as the the Beanie Baby craze. You know, ah, um, okay. Now, now it's funny because you're using something serious and comparing it to something ridiculous, and that's where you begin to have a little bit more humor. Like Bill Burr doesn't say, "Oh, I used to like these bands, but they kind of suck." That kind of reminds me of feminism because that, that's not funny that way. But he's talking about feminism, the serious topic, and then he adds a ridiculous comparison to a metaphor to it to 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 mock the thing so you might be you might because you're a um you're somebody who who cares about the economy you're you're an economics professor you're going to come at it from a serious economics point so you you might come out with cryptocurrency and say you know I, like this is a big deal right now but we're finding out that it's not as solid and as um as predict you know, or you can't really uh, count on it like you thought you could reminds me a little bit about the beanie beanie baby, baby craze if you don't know about that, here's how, here's, you know, we, you know, and then you begin to find out things from the cryptocurrency world and things from the Beanie Baby world and you combine them together. And then that's where your joke becomes funny. But if you do it the opposite way, if you do the silly way first, like, if, like that's, that's the mistake I think a lot of us newer comics made when we're starting is we, we, we think we got to go straight to the joke. And again, when you're doing comedy, there's so much of it that you're being serious like you're really pretending like you really you know are serious about this like he he talks about feminism and he doesn't he's not saying it he's not trying to mock it yet he first talks about bill burr first talks about it and then we find out oh he's bringing it up just to mock it so for you you know if you bring up beanie babies that beanie babies sounds funny and it is funny so already it's it's funnier if you use beanie babies to mock something else that's serious right so for you as an economics uh, professor, you're going to talk about things like cryptocurrency or um, say, I don't even know enough about that world to know what would be similar to in, metaphorically a, a beanie baby transaction. But 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 it is funny because like I remember seeing a picture of a, a husband and wife kneeling in front of their beanie baby collection in a courtroom as they are divorcing each other and figuring out, you know, <laughs> one by one who gets the more valuable beanie baby. <laughs> and they're looking at it real seriously, like, you know, whoa, 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 how come you get Pookie? And I, I and you know, like, like that's the Pookie's bears way more rare. That's not fair. You know, and, you know, combination or similarity to, to that ridiculous nature it, when we think of cryptocurrency, because, you know, a lot of times now we realize, oh, th th a lot of these are scams, you know. So that sounds like a good opportunity for another hiding device that you talk about is the uh, funny specifics. Like yeah. you could be like, oh, you know, arguing over Patty the platypus and Peanut the elephant and uh, Gobbles yeah. the turkey. Now you're now you're using funny specifics within a metaphor that's combining two worlds, like a frog bank thing, and um, and and that's that's the that's another key is um, these heightening devices are very rarely used by themselves. There's always uh, when, when professional comedians are trying to get their laughs, they're bringing a lot of these heightening devices together. So within their metaphor, there might be irony, there might be an incongruency, there might be um, an exaggeration. There's sarcasm in there. There's going to be there might be um, they might be using a contrast to get a poetic justice moment or, a pro or to solve a problem. Um, but in that, they'll use funny specifics to make that thing funnier. So like like you're bringing all those together, and as we be, you know continue our podcast over the next you know so many episodes, we'll start to look at these pro comics and see all and identify all the heightening devices that they use for one joke, and that's why you know, it's it's kind of like each one of these is pretty simple, but when you combine them, there's some real finesse going on there because you can't overdo it, but like you like that like you just did the funny. Beanie Baby names. So those are funny. So those have to be in your bit. Those have to be, you know, but they they have to be contrasted with a very serious cryptocurrency term, you know, like kind of a thing. And then that's where it becomes funny because you're saying your thing is as ridiculous as this to, in my, to my ears. As far as like writing techniques, do you, like I've seen some comics that say they do word maps. They'll put Beanie Baby in a circle and they put cryptocurrency in a circle and then they'll just 
just vomit as many things that remind him of cryptocurrency and vomit as many things that remind him of Beanie Babies and then look for yeah. a connector. Sure. That's a great technique. Like, like I, I've used that before. I, I just say it's a world, the world of this and the world of that. And then in each world, and, and that's really a great exercise just to, again, like the funny muscle in your brain, you're trying to flex it over and over again to make it stronger. Well, one way to make your funny muscle stronger, metaphorically, is by beginning to look at something in terms of its world. So so hat, so so baseball cap. So now I have to think of the world of hat. So I think of, you know, folding or not folding. I think of the dirty ones or the clean ones. I think of one with a, a logo or not logo. I think of uh, ones that have this adjustable strap on the back and ones that are fitted. I think of a store that just sells uh, hats. I think of baseball. I think of um, uh, old men wearing them. And then, you know, like all the, uh, you know, the brim, the 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 body, the inner parts of it, the the um, the seal that goes along the outside, the 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 icky film that fill, that forms on a lot of guys' hats that they don't clean for some reason, and they just they they like that. It feels good on their head. It's it's from their head grease. You get like that right there. We just filled out a whole world map of of a hat, and and so now, like that, that's a that's a tricky way like to go about like to just try to to find two worlds and then combine them together. Like that's like to me. I think an easier way to go about it, or not an easier way, but but a clearer way to go about it is to find out the premise you want to talk about. Now, you 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 first said Beanie Babies, so so in your mind, you wanted to uh, make a joke about the, how Beanie Babies are, are ridiculous. So so the first thing I like I thought of in my head was, oh, that you're you're hitting the punchline first. Like, you you got to go to something more serious, and so that to me that would be your first exercise is to go, well, what else is like Beanie Babies where I can use that as the punchline where Beanie Babies becomes something that's not expected. Or you could use Beanie Babies. Like if Beanie Babies is where you want to go first, you could say, you know, um, but but it ha but why? Why do you care about, like, like, like why does Stiffler care about Beanie Babies? I, I could see you caring more about cryptocurrency because you're the economics professor than, than yeah. Beanie Babies. Beanie Babies sounds like you're trying to be funny. Cryptocurrency says, oh, I'm trying to talk about something very serious here. And then you bring something funny to it. And that's where we laugh more because it's, it's you're surprising us. Uh, and so this sounds like I don't really had a clear premise to begin with. I just had, be you know, I'm working on a 1990s bit. And so I just started with Beanie Babies, but had no clear premise. And I was out of order. Like, and that's why I think the blueprint's so helpful is that when you run through the actual mechanics of it, like I've been doing the last several weeks, you can see what I'm missing. And like, and even that first set you, you analyzed mine, you said like, hey, you jumped right to the, uh, you know, the, the, the joke. You had no setup here or your setup was good, but you didn't actually deceive them. There was no misdirection. Right. And so I, I guess, yeah, let's, let's explain the blueprint to me or explain the sure. outline of the blueprint. So, so the blueprint is, is kind of like a combination of a lot of concepts that kind of thrown into the same picture. So, because premise setup and punchline, which is the basic part of it was, was never very helpful to me as a comedian, because I was like, I get the concept of it, but I, I don't get how to apply it to my ideas. Because I don't, I don't get why my premise can, you know, be set up. And like, I didn't get the fact that when you set something up, you're setting people up to expect something normal. But anyway, so so the blueprint goes like this: uh, you have a bit name, so so you want to name your your bit. So and and the thing about a bit name, it seems like a dumb thing to go over, but truly, if you're going to be a professional comedian, what you're going to have whenever you go on stage is a set list. A set list is a, 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 a like sort of a, an order that you want to deliver your material in. And so when you create a set list, you need to be able to look at it quickly and go, oh, I get it. Pop, 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 pop. These are my bits. So your bit name, what it does is it encapsulates, you know, you would say maybe cryptocurrency or crypto beanie would be the name of this bit. Right. So you would just name it that so that when you see it immediately, you go, oh, I get it. It's that whole world of combining crypto and beano baby, I, beanie, beanie babies. Got it. So then underneath the bit name would be your premise. So now your premise is what you are going to just begin to introduce to the audience to get them thinking about whatever concept or topic you want to talk about. So you, you, for you, you'd say um, cryptocurrency seems to be a, a pretty popular way to make money nowadays for the young, for the, for the kids. And then, so you, you could say, um, so you're, you're, you're now going to have to, that's your premise. So now you have to have a setup. Setup means, I'm going to apply my comedy lens to that premise and I'm going to create a normal direction that I want the audience to think. So in you're the 
economics guy. So you're going to want them to think you're going in an economics direction. You know, cryptocurrency is it, you know, um, is it too risky? Is it too well? It reminds me of something else uh, in 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 that world or in that financial uh, kingdom. Another another complex um, economic concept he's going to go with. And instead, you go somewhere different, which is Beanie Babies. So that's a funny misdirect that you did. I'm, I'm going to, so your setup should be, I'm going to take you in a real technical economic direction with this cryptocurrency. And that's up to you to find funny specifics, not funny specifics, but just specifics in the cryptocurrency world that would lead them to think that that's direct, the direction you're going. So then you have to violate that norm. Um, that That's Peter McGraw is that he's, you know, he violates the, uh, or uh, benignly violates your setup, and then that's 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 sort of what where humor comes from. So when you benignly violate that norm, you would want to say, "How risky is it? Maybe cryptocurrency? It's so risky. It reminds me of Beanie Babies. Would be the answer to that. Now you can't say that because that's that's an old school. You know, how blank is it? Well, so blank it's this like that. We don't do those jokes anymore. You have to be more. You have to have more finesse to your delivery than that. So you would begin to say, you, you know, um, how uh, you, you know. It, it you know you have to phrase it so that it reminds you of the beanie baby thing and so it's very difficult to just sit here and write a joke out you know live right. uh, uh, to do that but that's how that would go that's how the blueprint would and then within those jokes when you answer that question how risky is it you need to heighten how risky it is it's it's as risky as beanie babies and so then you can begin to combine those two worlds together but that's only one take there's other things you could do a um, a, neg a, a positive to negative. You know, you can say, you know, it's all my future. You know, but 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 you know, uh, future money now it's lost. And so you 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 have to create a funny way that that you turn something that's a positive investment for your family into a complete and utter that's failure. Right. So so yeah, anyway, you can go through. You, you know, so so the exercise that I always have people do when like if if you're, you're asking for what can I do when I'm sitting here writing, you can begin using the blueprint to create your premise and setup, and then you, you that question, how blank is it? And then you can start answering that question with these different heightening devices. How risky is it? Well, anthropomorphizing. So now you have to have like, like the cryptocurrency itself begins to talk to you. Dude, don't do this. Are you crazy? <laughs> I've already fucked over so many people out of their money. I'm going to get you next unless, you know, or whatever, you know, or um, maybe the cryptocurrency is talking to your wife you know he's whispering to your wife don't let him do it you know then it becomes funnier <laughs> because it's 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 you know mis misinterpretation you know you could that's usually where you you use a play on words to misinterpret you know oh cryptocurrency i thought i thought it, you were being uh cryptocurrency is sneaky currency or whatever. um but but within there's there's going to be exaggeration you know there's going to be once you establish that it's risky well how risky is it and then you have to begin to heighten how risky it is. And there's different ways to, through exaggeration. You know, I'm going to lose all my money and and um, and be on the streets begging. Well, that's heightened, but it's not funny. So then you have to begin to heighten it in a silly way, in a, in a crazy way. Um, but Mike, you, you automatically do this. Like your Rolodex runs through anthropomorphizing yeah. and negative and positive and flash cut, flash forward, similes, metaphors. How do you, what do you tell me as a starting comic to... Uh, well, I'll tell you what I've been doing. I just took your heightening devices and I have my note cards in front of me here. And then I'll just shuffle the deck and say, let's throw an extension at my Beanie Baby bit. So take right. an action another step further. See, to me, that, that's right. If, I, if I'm going to invest in cryptocurrency, if I'm going to think Beanie Babies are valuable, I'm, why don't I also expect that my chess set's going to be valuable or um, my, my, uh, my old shoes, my old tennis shoes? You know, why not sell that? You know, like, like, let's, let's make those the next thing, you know, well, this one's a particularly stinky, so it's going to be a little more valuable, but these shoes right here still have mud on them from when I fell, you know, or whatever. And so, so you, like my suggestion would be to use as many of those heightening devices. Like I like the hat you have them on your cards. That's one way to do it. Another way, like I sometimes just have it on a, a, a word doc and I just have all of them on, you know, the, all of them and I go through them. I like yours because it it you pull out a card and you don't know what's coming up next and it forces you to think quickly. But that's to me a way you can begin to practice being funnier. And you can hear even me. I mean, I was I did comedy for 24 years and 
I struggle to come up with a very funny example of each one of these things every single time because it's it's hard. It's very difficult. But but that's the whole point of practicing is you just do it at home in front of a paper. You you, you barf all those things out on paper. And that's what I do in book two, uh, the fine tuning your funny muscle. I go through all those heightening devices on, on that teen sleeper, like oversleeping premise. And then by the end of it, I've got like a hundred possible punchlines. So then when I go back and look at all those different ones based on all those different heightening devices, I can pick the ones I think are funniest, you know, and your, yours might be, Oh my God, the beanie baby one is the best. That's, I, that's a great metaphor. I'm going to, I'm going to go double down on that. And then you can add some of the other punchlines in that bit because they they kind of somewhat relate. And then you throw the other ones out. If they're just an exercise, they're just like, I just flexed to, to, to flex. Yeah. It's helpful to understand that, you know, you're going to mine for those jokes, but a lot of times you're not going to get anything. And so it's not, that's the process, right? You don't have to be, yeah. everyone doesn't have to work. Everyone doesn't have to be a, a laugh inducing. I've proven line. that multiple times so far in this podcast right now, <laughs> you know, like that, like, like I'm, my mind's thinking, I'm trying to quickly think um, I've been funny since, since I've been little. So my mind has automatically works to try to find those combined words, worlds together. It tries to do these heightening devices to this thing because I grew up trying to make people laugh because I already was good at it. So some people, they're not good at that at all. They don't, it doesn't occur to them to use these devices. So, so the whole idea behind this book is to begin to offer them that idea that they could do these multiple different heightens and that that's a way to practice becoming funnier. And to me, it's like, when I begin to teach you as a, if I'm a guitar instructor, I'm going to teach you all these chords first. First, I'm going to teach you the notes. Then I'm going to teach you the chords. And then I'm going to show you how the chords work together in progressions. And then based on those, you can begin to write songs. But when you first learn the notes, you're not really going to be able to do a whole lot of songs at first. You're just trying to learn the fretboard. You know what I mean? And that's the same with this, with being funny it is if you're naturally funny, then all this stuff is like, like it's already there. It's already occurring to you to do all these things because you've been doing it since you've been little. You've been doing it with your friends, busting balls with each other. That's the way your brain works. So a lot of people, though, that's not how it works. That's not what they're thinking or, or, or they're not to that level. And so that's what the these books are supposed to do is to give you a, a kind of breakdown how it works so that you can practice it and you can begin to get better at the things that don't necessarily occur to you automatically. And then when you rewire that way, they will start to occur to you more often. Like, I bet you now. Right. Um, it, I'm starting occurring. to see these everywhere or in, even in writing, like reading humor columns. I'm seeing contrast. I'm seeing list of threes. I'm seeing similes. I'm seeing um, personification. If I can offer right. my own metaphor, I think it's like uh, like learning how to golf swing, where if you just go to the driving range and say hit a golf ball and you just struggle and struggle and struggle and you're not getting anywhere – but if you do the blueprint, you're going to focus on the grip. You're going to focus on the takeaway. You're going to focus on the backswing or the you know, the follow through. And so then when my jokes didn't work, like I sent you, you said, well, you're missing. You had no follow through here or you had no good takeaway. You jumped right to the finish and you didn't never had a grip or a takeaway. And that's what that was really helpful for, to me. See the blueprint as a um, a template or what did I a game yeah. plan. And, and it's a very, and it, it, what, what you have to always remember is it's all these, all, all these rules are breakable. In fact, if you're a really good comic, you break them constantly. But first you understand, like every good comic understands, okay, I need to, first of all, get the audience to think about the idea I'm trying to talk about. And then I need to misdirect them with a setup. I need to get them thinking of something totally normal. And then I need to, to surprise them with something that occurred to me that was funny that they wouldn't think about because they're not me. I don't know if a lot of comics think that. Like if you say do comedy, like the first set I wrote last year, I was just trying to write a five-minute set, and I never had the idea that I need misdirection. And now going back and looking at that first set, the ones that got laughs, I was like, that it because it had misdirection. Right. Isn't it funny? And it and you you didn't do it consciously, but because you did it, it did what this machine is supposed to do it created a laugh because you got them thinking about a thing, you misdirected them, and then you hit them with something that still satisfied that setup but in a way they weren't expecting and that's that's the game of it and that that's what people make a, the biggest mistake when they begin doing comedy is they're telling if they try to tell a funny story right and in that story there's not a lot of misdirection there's just they're, they're just it's funny because you were in the story but what it's going to be funny to strangers is if during the course of telling that story you add these misdirections and heightens within it and then those are where I, that's what I call flexing your funny muscle. That's the flex. 
And when you don't, you're just giving a damn speech is what I say in the book over and over again. Otherwise it's a speech and, and, and a speech might be funny from Kramer. If you've heard, you know, uh, if you've, if you're on the 13th episode or it's 13th season of Seinfeld and he just gives a speech and it's funny because it's just, Oh, that's Kramer. He's crazy the way he talks. But if you've never heard of him and don't know him, you know, it's not going to be as funny because you're like, I don't know this guy. And and most people don't know you when you go up to do an open mic. You're talking to a room full of strangers. So if you they're not going to give you that, they're not going to be like, well, this is a fun. I mean, some people they might like like when Bill Murray walks in the room, you might not know him, but you just you a lot of people are like, I'm just laughing already because it's I don't know. He's got this thing about him. Well, those are very organically funny people. You know, Steve Martin, when he walks in. Um, you know, uh, Richard Pryor, when he walked in, like th th those people are, are, they have something else going for them that, that takes years to develop if you don't have it naturally. What, what the rest of us have to do is we have to learn how the machine works. We have to learn how the engine runs. And then, and that's by telling them what the, the, the premise is, setting them up with a misdirection and then violating, by benignly violating that norm that they thought was going to be there was something that they don't get and then heighten that over and over again. And if those elements aren't there, getting a laugh is up in the air. You may or may not get it and you probably won't because they don't know when to laugh either. Before you were coaching me, my, my technique was uh, I would pick one bit I watched on YouTube and then analyze it. If I laughed at it, I would write it in my journal and I'd say, why is this funny? But I didn't have like the structure or the template or the even the language to understand and I was like, and then you told me about the blueprint. I was like, eh, I was still reluctant because I don't, you know, go against my own way of learning. But now sure. that I've done the blueprint a couple of times, I really start to see, and I, it's getting easier and easier. I'm going to share my screen here. Oh yeah. Show me what you've been working on. Cause that, that's the thing is, is yeah. when you can begin to, um, when you can begin to see how these pros do it by using their material in oh. this blueprint, it kind of shows you. Like, like like they're using it too, but the way they use it, there's so much finesse to it. There's so much there. There, you got to remember, like 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 you know, Jim Gaffigan has been doing this for decades, and so he's he's hidden his technique so much. It's like it's like watching uh, Eric Clapton do a solo and going, "Why can't I do that?" You know, well because the dude has been doing it forever and he's naturally good at it. Right. But if you break down his notes and you watch it, and, you know, that's why they have a music graph or whatever they call that, the, uh, the staff, you know, and, 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 and they, pl they pluck the notes and they, they you can, have you ever looked at a solo written out? It's crazy. It's like, Oh my God, that's a lot of notes. And they're all over the place. And there's little tricks that they do with a tremolo or what do they call it? Uh, tremolos or vibratos and all that crap. So, so it, it makes it at least a way that you can track what someone else is doing and go, Oh, I see. That's how it goes. And then I get that's an F, that's a G. Oh, okay. All right. And then, you know, but some people can just imitate that by listening to it. But that's, you know, this book wouldn't be for those type of comics. Those type of comics don't need help breaking it down because it occurs to them naturally. But everyone else who wants to be funnier, like it helps to understand, oh, those notes belong on a, on a, on a G uh, um, scale and they occur within that and then here he's breaking those rules by by um by stepping out into a minor scale and that's why it sounds different like that ah i get it now i'll try it on a real slower level another thing i thought found helpful was you know on days i'm trying to write i have like brain block i can't write my own material what i'll do is i'll just pick someone a prose comics and then run it through the blueprint to get me in just give me some reps right it gives you something tangible to practice and yeah, you're not creating, you know, new material for yourself, but I'm getting so much better at then seeing the structure. And so and I'm you showing you here. As you get better at that, it'll occur to you in the moment more often. And then you'll, you'll, you won't jump to the punchline because you go, oh, wait a minute. It doesn't feel right anymore to just jump there. I'm going to set it up different. Like I'm going to set up a, um, a misdirection first and I'll get a bigger laugh. And then you'll try it a little bit. And then you improve it and then you'll see, oh, each time gets a bigger and better laugh because I'm getting, I'm honing it. Better. So I have, I have, a, I did this blueprint right here last night. I pulled a Rondi Dangerfield joke. It's a quick, quick joke. Oh, the other night, my wife met yeah. me at the door with a see-through negligee. The trouble is she was coming home. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let's see if I did this right. So I took out, I wrote bit name in bold and I called it wife negligee. Sure. Which I had That's to look right. up how to spell negligee. And then my premise, and, and, and I put this in parentheses because it's an assumed premise or, you know, it's a, he established the premise earlier in the bit. 
but he doesn't actually say this part, but basically the, the premise is my wife and I never have sex. Well, I think the premise is marriage. Marriage? Because okay. Yeah, because my wife and I never have sex is too, like a premise is just, um, I would say like, um, yeah, the, like, like in this one, like you can almost say the other night my wife met me at the door was your premise. That that that's your premise. Like like I try to use like as much of their joke, it, like like and not have it be implied. And then the setup is with a see through negligee. So so my wife the other night my wife met me at the door is is now now we got them thinking okay he's married, we're, the his wife's meeting him at the door. That's the premise. I I got it. I've I've been through that moment in my head. My wife has met me at the door with a see through negligee. Now he's directing us, misdirecting us into thinking that he's going to get laid. Because when when your wife meets you at the door with a negligee, oh baby, that that's a good sign. That's a good sign. And, that's what, and the that's, norm. That's what is, you call the. That's what you call the norm. Sorry, I interrupt you, but that's what you call the norm, that's, right? That that's exactly that's what um that's what I would call the norm. And the norm is basically just when you're talking this way and and, and about this stuff. This is this is what you're you're leading me to. Like like we naturally gravitate towards that because like a magician, you're making us do that, right? So for him, you know, like he's doing one-liners. So it's quick. These are fast. These are fast. When you do one-liners, it's, it's that's the, to me, the most difficult type of humor. It's anything that's short, like short stories are very difficult sometimes to write because you, you're trying to do all of this stuff, but in a smaller amount of time. Mitch Hedberg stuff. There's not one, and same with Dangerfield. There's not one extra word in their jokes. That's how great of a, a jokesmith they are. So, yeah, so... um your premise would be the other night my wife met me at the door with a see-through negligee. Or met me at the door. And then the setup is with a see-through negligee, implying. And then you, you know, it could be like, how sexy was it? How as in how attractive to me is my wife? Is that not this is this is the one I struggle with, is the how. Yeah, how it, blank it's, is it's it? Hard. I, I get yeah, that is hard. It's hard to figure out what you're heightening, you know. And with him, like his game is pretty, you know, his comedy lens is I get no respect. So we know automatically, no matter what happens in his setup, in his premise and setup, something about the end result is going to be he gets no respect. So in this case, we're thinking that Ronnie's going to get laid finally. But he's not, of course, because that's the joke. And so um, that, that like to me, this this joke is a, a bait and switch. It's a very much, um, you know. That's why I wrote in red there. Right. I was uh, masturbating on my bed and um, I, I was masturbating on the bed and they kicked me out of Walmart, you know, out of the furniture section. You know, it's like that's a, it's like a, you know, a very obvious I'm going this way, but then I go, boom, I hit them that way. And so Dangerfield was really good at doing those because because his lens allowed for it very easily. But sometimes they can appear to be kind of cheap, you know, like like that, you know. Uh, you know, I, I started making out with this woman and, and I said, Sister Mary Carissa, why would you do this to me? You know, uh, I'm your student. You know, it's like, boom, boom. you know, they're very, I don't know, they're very abrupt. Bait and switch, right? I also heard the term is pull back and reveal the same as a bait and switch. I, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. You know, okay. um, it's funny. Yeah. So, so with the danger field bit, you know, you're, um, the, yeah, the how blank is it? it that, like that's, yeah, so to me it would be um, how sexy is she? She's so sexy, and basically that she went somewhere else. Like she's sexy, for, but it was for someone else, kind of a thing. That's the you know um, how um, I guess how because you're, you're you're the 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 thing you're heightening is the attraction you're having for her, um, but but you but I don't get any respect, which is his lens. So it 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 backfires on that. In parentheses, there the, the joke satisfies the setup in a surprising and heightening way. Yeah. Exactly. So the joke, the trouble is she's coming home. Right. So now, and then you could, you know, that joke is done. Like that's his whole joke. Like he moves on. Like yep. he did he did what he needed to do because that's his style. That's what I'm writing now in book three, which is you have to figure out your style of delivery. And then that's a whole nother level of what you're adding to this game plan. Because if Ronnie Dangerfield was a storyteller, that he has to deliver this different, you know, and then his punchline can't be so quick. He's a one-liner guy. So he's like, 
So he gets a rhythm with the crowd and that's how they get going. Mm -hmm. If he's a storyteller like Richard Pryor, now he's going to talk about the one time his wife, you know, he and his wife, oh, let me tell you, first of all, my wife and I, we've been married for this many years and blah, blah, blah. So he's going to get more into it and give you more flavor of it. And then within that story, he's going to have a bunch of these moments where it gets a punch laugh, like, like, you know, um, but he, but that's, but Richard Pryor didn't get laughs. Like he didn't do a lot of bait and switches. He wasn't like a, you know, he he was he was he got a lot of a different kind of heightened times. Well, I also wrote down that uh, like analyzing the no 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 wasted words. He has a connector. He says, "Met me at the door," which in itself is ambiguous because you you immediately see in your head the you know him coming home from work or whatever, and the wife's at the door already in the house. But it has a double meaning. That's, that's a really good point. Like a lot of what you're doing is the setup. The, a lot of what's happening in a setup is a, a play on words on on a, a bunch of different levels. Some could be puns. Some could be like, this is a phrase, met me at the door. I can misinterpret what met me at the door means. Because that's really what he's doing. He's misinterpreting what, what he made you think of. Like, oh, the way, the normal way your wife in a negligee meets you at the door is she shows up for you looking like that because she's got ideas on her mind. Right. But now he's saying met me at the door means something different in his world. It means she's coming home looking sexy because it was for someone else. I got no respect, you know. And and so so that's one thing that's a good point uh, to make, which is you're you're there's a lot of misinterpretation that you're doing with between your setup and your punchline. You're misinterpreting what you meant. That, that That's how you can surprise people. I didn't mean there. I meant there. You know, but that's the, you know, the, those, those that see a lot of uh, most dad jokes are that they're, you know, um, they're puns and they're just a play on words that that are very simple. In the same way that you always like you run through the heightening devices real quick automatically, your brain also seems to like look for the connector or look for the double meaning or look for the ambiguous uh, way of interpreting anything. Yeah. And you begin to. um there's a lot of tricks to that trade. There's a lot of tricks to that trade. And one of them is puns. One of them is misinterpreting a, a phrase. Um, one of them is a combination of those things. You know, um, one of them is like bringing a, a, like a, an idea from a different culture that means something different to me than it does to you. Like there's a lot of different ways to do that stuff. You know, the, the point is, is that you're, you're, um, you're, you're misinterpreting what, what you presented as the truth. How does your blueprint differ from just like the standard premise setup punchline? Well, the only difference is that um, I add the idea of um, when you begin to set something up, you insert your comedy lens at that point. So uh, like, for instance, you know, if I was going to do a bit on cryptocurrency, um, I don't know that I would go with the Beanie Baby thing because I'm, I'm, I'm the, um, the clumsy ass people. And so my first thing would be, um, you know, an aspie hole notices and notifies and, and interjects and corrects. So my whole thing would be like, I'd be the worst person to, to invest in cryptocurrency because during the entire meeting, you know, I would be um, notice and notifying, you know, so, so there'd be something about, about that, you know, there's something, something that I'm, I'm interjecting and correcting about how they're doing it. And, and, you know, and, and my idea, my, my comedy always comes from, I'm looking at the world in a certain way, and then I'm not measuring up to that somehow. So somehow I would, I would lose money on cryptocurrency always, you know, because it, it backfires on me. And, um, you know, but, but the way my blueprint is, is, is different. It's just that first of all, and then it adds the idea of, of the, um, the norm, you know, it, it, it inserts that concept so that you can begin to see what you're doing with your setup. Because that, that's the thing that I, I didn't realize is I didn't know my setup is supposed to direct the attention of everyone who's listening to a normal result so that I can benignly violate it with a punchline that's heightened and, and um, surprise whoever's listening because they weren't expecting it. And then that's the other thing that the blueprint adds is the idea of violating that norm. How blank is it? And that's what I came to realize when you start looking at these jokes, like everybody is answering that question. They're setting it up and answering it 
without ever saying it. There's, like not, None of this is said. None of this is spoken. This is all like a way to dissect the frog, so to speak, and see how this is working. But you're always trying to say, um, make a point which to get a laugh. You're saying, well, how blank is it? And so like, like you know, I could go through those jokes I sent you, like um, Nate Bargazzi does a bit about Chuck E. Cheese is rough. And then he's answering the question, how rough is it? Well, it's like they've been trying to close, but they can't get it done. They call, they call um, Blockbuster and, and ask them for advice. Hey, we're trying to end this thing. How, how, do you, how did you guys do it? You know, so he's, <laughs> he's heightening it, you know, um, which is how rough is it? You know, um, uh, what else? Um, I'll pause you a second and just ask you, like, yeah. so the heightening devices aren't, I've used, I've heard some people say, say they're laugh triggers. They're not the joke. They're an extra laugh trigger to your premise right so like it's i guess i see the blueprint as the whole global template and then the heightening devices are tools inside that template is that maybe that's not the best metaphor well they're they're um yeah like the heightening devices are the the techniques and tactics that we use to do like to to exaggerate more of what you're already talking about there, there are different ways to um show the exaggerated nature of what you're trying to do so um including exaggeration itself you know how blank is it is an exaggeration itself so it's kind of it can be kind of confusing to think like oh well the whole thing does that but also that device does that um, yeah, it's so, so the, the heightening devices, like, okay, so like, like I, I, I went to, uh, uh, improv school, like I went to second city and improv Olympic and annoyance theater in Chicago. And I was taught the tactic, techniques and tactics of improvisation. So some of those have rubbed off into the standup world, which is, this is one of them. So in the world of, of improv, what you do is you start with an idea. So, um, you know, um, wrench, a wrench. So now all of a sudden I'm fixing something with a wrench. Then someone else comes in and they have to yes and that. Oh, I see that, you know, I, when is my car going to be ready? So they already see, they've seen that I'm fixing something. And now they've said, yes, like, yes, you're fixing something and it's my car and I'm waiting for it. So they've heightened it. They, they've heightened it in a sense because now it's not just a wrench being moved. Now we see a bigger picture. So now I heighten it by going um, not as soon as I thought because this car is screwed. You've got a gerbil stuck in your oil tank. So now I've heightened it into almost a ridiculous level. But if we play it real, a gerbil, no, that's where he is. Oh, my God. My wife is going to be so happy. We've been looking for Herbert for hours, you know, you know, and, um, you know, well, that's good news. Uh, uh, it looks like he's made a couple friends. What? Yeah, there's a bunch of chipmunks now in there whatever so you know you can begin to hide but yeah, but that's like you know that that's in the improv world you begin to heighten and yes and you agree with whatever they say and you make it bigger and bigger and weirder and weirder until it transforms into something else and that's the whole point of heightening heightening um helps you to transform what you started with into something new that you didn't expect and so that's why you heighten is to get to that other place and and the different ways you heighten get you there via different highways. So, so the blueprint, I'm looking at my notes I took out of your book. So we got as a template for a game plan to do that. You got your premise set up punchline. You always, you throw in violate the norm between basically setup and punchline. Cause you're always thinking yeah. misdirection. How, how do I get him leading yeah, one that, way? Yeah, that's Peter McGraw. That's his, that's his uh, idea of you benignly violate the norm, meaning Whatever the thing that we expected it to be, you, you smash it into pieces. You go somewhere in a different way, like that. That's, um, um, but it's benignly violate because violate is such a harsh word. But, but so, so it can't, like you know. So say, say that in, in in other words. In other words, what's the norm? What's the norm? It's uh, what are you expecting? It's what you're picturing. What the average person pictures when you say you're set up. How else could you say? So, so that to benignly violate that means I'm going to take it someplace that you weren't expecting that still satisfies the direction I told you I was going to take. Let me every every good punchline satisfies that setup because if it doesn't, it won't get a laugh. 
because it, because it, it's like, well, that's not what you were talking about. That's not what you said. Well, like here's, I like this one. Um, however you say it, Anthony Jessel. Um, my dad always believed in learning things uh, by doing them. So when I was a kid, he threw me in the lake so that he could teach himself CPR, right? Bait and switch. We, he sets us up so as a, so norm a norm. To think, well, you throw him in to, to swim. We've been doing that forever. That that's that. Um, uh, Andy Griffith did that to his to to Opie. You know, whatever. It's it's like like that's the normal expecting to benign, benignly violate. Now, see, that's the thing with Anthony Jeslin. Like yeah. Jeslin, yeah. But but he, it's not so benign the way he does it because he's a dark comic. So a lot of like like. So he can teach himself CPR. I mean, I'm drowning my kid so I can learn how to save him. Like that's dark. That's not very benign. There's a there's a child death in there. So he's breaking a, a rule in a way that that like like if if that if, like, but his comedy that's his comedy lens. So we 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 want him to be dark because that's who he is. But if I did a joke like that, it it might not get the same laugh because I'm not. That's not my lens. I don't benignly violate things. I, I, I've been, I'm, I'm more benign in the way I violate, whereas he is darker in the way he violates. Okay, so I think I did that. I ran that one through the blueprint yesterday. So bit name, learn to swim, and then you, you're teaching me to always, and your premise always start with the lens. Remind yourself of the lens, otherwise you're just a comedy quipper, like you told me last time we talked. Well, the, the, in this um, setup is where we want the lens. I'll set up lens. Yeah, because the, the premise is just here's the topic. Oh, anyone can have the same premise, right? Exactly. The premise is like a love song. It's like, I'm, I'm about to tell you about a man and a woman who love each other. And then the setup is like, okay, but here's how I look at it. Well, I was going to say, so for his setup, so when I was a kid, he threw me in the lake. Now, um, he needs that setup in order to twist it into the way he twists things. So so he 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 throws the kid in the lake because he knows that most of us are going to think because I'm want to teach him to the you know I'm, I'm, it's it's a tough way a tough lesson to learn how to swim but it, it works but it it turns out oh no this is a dad who wants to learn CPR so that's the laugh because it still satisfies that he like the premise was his dad believed in learning uh, dad my dad always because you could almost um, you know, my dad always believed in learning things by doing them. So, so that, however, this comes out, that has to stay true. Well, it did stay true, but he's, but it's just the wrong. We're thinking he's talking about swimming, right. but he's talking about CPR. Comedy is so hard already, but without a game plan, it's it's damn near impossible because you're just like trying to. Then you end up imitating stuff, and it you you're just copying. But when you really understand the art of it, the the, the what you're doing. That to me is is when you can really make it original. You can really make it work for you, and and that is what I'm hoping this podcast does for people is is, is allows them to begin that journey because that's fun. That's exciting. <laughs>